Part 2, An Up-and-Coming Star. Chapter 7, Summer 1973, Age 18. Hey, Ricardo! Fat Andy Ruggiano called back to the restaurant owner as Robert and Anthony stood nearby waiting to take numbers from another customer. Fat Andy exuded toughness. His broad shoulders bore a set square jaw and an equally square chin that had taken the blunt force of many punches over the years. There wasn't a single hair out of place, each one combed towards the rear of his head and held in place by an abundance of hair grease. He dressed sharply, usually in dark suits and wearing gold rings. In essence, he looked like a well-dressed boxer. Sitting in a chair next to Fat Andy was a man named Giuseppe, wearing an off-white apron with faint yellow and red stains. He was expressing his concern to Fat Andy over his declining street vending business. What can I do for you, Fat Andy? Ricardo said as he came out of the kitchen, wiping his hands on a dish towel. You've been downtown to visit those two new skyscrapers, the World Trade Center? Yeah, they just finished. Me and the wife went last week. They got many street vendors there? Ricardo put his hands on his hips and looked up. After a couple of seconds, he said, I don't remember seeing very many. Much traffic? Oh, yeah. You know, those two towers are the tallest in the world, right? That's what I heard. Ricardo nodded. Yeah, and more to come. Fat Andy looked back at Giuseppe. There you go. Just move your business to Manhattan, set up your cart in front of those buildings. You ought to make a killing. Giuseppe didn't look pleased. But, Fat Andy, it's a long ways to Manhattan from where I am. I'd have to put my cart on a truck. And, well, I can't work out all the details for you. That's your job. In the meantime, grab you a plate. Dinner's on me. He pointed to Anthony and Robert. Then see to it you place your numbers with my son and his friend over there. Robert never returned to his job at Jet Air Freight. Instead, he hung out with Anthony every day. Anthony taught him how to work the numbers, a game based on the last three numbers of the amount of money handled by a racetrack on any given day. Currently, Robert and Anthony were taking bets for the Belmont number. They would make a percentage of what monies they collected, which was more than they had ever hoped to make working the docks. And with more time on his hand, Robert stayed out with Anthony and his crew, who bar-hopped routinely. They often got in fights. It was nothing for little Joe to punch a member of another crew just for bumping into him or accidentally stepping on his foot. Or some smart aleck would say something about Anthony being the spoiled son of Fat Andy, and after a couple of teeth were missing, would realize that Anthony was quite capable of standing on his own merits. No matter who started the fight or why, Robert managed to use every opportunity to build his reputation as a crazed fighter who backed down from no one. He didn't care how big the other guy was or the reputation that preceded him. Robert loved to fight and the attention he got from it. He took on anyone willing to go toe-to-toe with him, and he would do anything to ensure he won the fight, even if it meant using a weapon. Ricardo escorted an unsatisfied Giuseppe to an empty chair on the other end of the table and then disappeared into the kitchen. Fat Andy signaled for Anthony and Robert to come over. How's it going, boys? He asked as he shoveled a fork full of spaghetti into his mouth. It's good, Anthony said, revealing the layers of bills and slips of papers he and Robert had collected over the evening. Fat Andy wiped his mouth with the napkin from his lap. You boys hungry? He asked, his words slightly distorted by the food still remaining in his mouth. Starving. Pull up a chair. The pasta's great tonight. Robert and Anthony took the two seats at the opposite end of the table and filled their plates. After letting Robert and Anthony eat a couple of bites, Fat Andy tipped his head toward Robert. Good stuff, right? With his mouth full of the pasta, Robert could only grin and nod. Fat Andy managed a smile of his own. Anthony says you're doing a good job, 
he pointed his fork toward Robert. You just need to keep that knife in your pocket, stay out of trouble when you can avoid it. The knife to which Fat Andy referred was the one he used on a bartender in the middle of a bra about a year ago. The bartender jumped over the bar to break up the fight, and Robert thought he was coming after him. So Robert lunged toward the bartender and sunk his knife into the side of the chest. He and the rest of the crew escaped that night thinking the bartender was dead. Fat Andy sent Robert and Anthony to Florida until things cooled down. After they got to Miami, they found out that the bartender had not died. Ten days later, Robert and Anthony returned to New York with tans and the surety that the bartender had not and would not give them up. Once again, Robert's problems disappeared without repercussions. I don't even carry a switchblade anymore, Robert said in response to Fat Andy's question. It was the truth. He had opted for a box cutter, which prevented him from being charged with a weapons felony if he was ever caught. Fat Anthony cocked his head. Just don't leave yourself vulnerable. You've got a lot of friends, but you're making a lot of enemies too. Fat Andy was right. Not long after Robert and Anthony returned to New York, a gang of bout-welding hoodlums chased Robert down for slicing up the face of one of their friends, an incident he didn't even remember. As they were about to do the same thing to him, an undercover cop drove up and saved him from being mutilated. I'll be sure to protect myself, he said. After Robert finished eating, he left Fat Andy and Anthony with a take for the night, minus his percentage. He met up with Little Joe, Tommy, and Frankie at a nearby club, where they bellied up to the bar for the evening. Robert, anxious to buy some clout with the cash he had earned taking numbers, ordered drinks for his friends and a couple of girls they met at the club. It had been a pleasant and uneventful evening. As they stepped out into the night's muggy air, they started to get into Frankie's car, intending to drive to a nearby diner for a bite to eat. Before Robert had a chance to open the car door, a man of massive proportions approached them. He had a look of desperation. Robert thought he was high, and apparently he wanted to stay that way. You guys got any drugs? His hands were in his pockets, and he bounced. Robert sensed trouble of the sort he didn't want. No, man, we don't do that kind of stuff, which was not quite true. The others often smoked pot, and Robert had dabbled with some pills before. All his life, Robert lived around junkies, and the telltale signs of drug abuse were emanating from this man. The big guy grew more agitated and asked again. Tommy laughed. Obviously, he was nervous. Man, you got the wrong guys. Robert grabbed one of the girls and started to walk to the car. You think this is funny? Robert turned back and saw the big guy staring at Tommy. His nostrils were flared. Before Tommy had a chance to say anything, the big guy's left arm was wrapped around his head and his right hand held a knife to his throat. He moved back a couple of steps while Robert and the others spread out, expletives flying. I want my drugs now. We told you we ain't got no drugs, Robert said. You're asking the wrong guys. He reached into his back pocket and gripped the box cutter, his heart threatening to jump out of his chest. He noticed his brother Frankie wielding a bat, which he must have pulled out of the car. Robert nodded towards him, and he nodded back. By now it was routine for Robert to fight. He had brawled several times since joining Anthony's crew, but fighting a giant hopped up on drugs was a completely different and very uncomfortable scenario. He cursed the guy and said, Just let our friend go. He ain't done nothing to you. The big guy seemed to slow his breathing and relaxed his grip on Tommy. Yeah, that's it. We don't want any trouble, Robert said, still maintaining his defensive position. Tommy, who had been struggling the entire time to free himself, started to maneuver out of the man's loosened grip. But before he could get free, the big guy clamped down on Tommy's forehead with his bulging arm and drew the blade of his knife across his throat. 
Blood spewed from Tommy's neck as the big guy let go, allowing him to drop to his knees. The big guy kicked him in the back towards the rest of the crew. Tommy fell to the ground, not moving. Robert felt his heart jump from his chest to his throat. He pulled out his box cutter as he saw Frankie charge the big guy, screaming at the top of his lungs and take a swing at him. The bat was blocked by the big guy's forearm. It went flying in one direction and Frankie went flying in another. Robert felt the fear inside him turn to rage, just like it had many times before. He looked to his right and saw little Joe with his knife drawn. They eased toward the big guy, whose sinister grin made Robert even angrier. As soon as little Joe made his move and the big guy swiped at him with his knife, Robert went in behind him and sliced through his hamstring. In a single motion, Robert had instantly dropped the big guy to one knee. With only primal instincts guiding their actions, Robert and little Joe never let up until the big guy had let go of the knife and was flat on the ground. Okay, okay, the big guy pleaded, blood oozing from his wounds, his hands stretched out, empty of any weapon. That's it, you got me. Robert was breathing hard, his saliva and sweat falling onto the giant. Little Joe stood next to him with his knife hanging down by his side, blood dripping from its tip. Robert cursed the guy, and assured that the man was incapacitated, he started to run towards Tommy, who was still laid out on the street. Frankie caught him from behind. Somebody will take care of him. Let's go. Come on, Robert. Little Joe nudged him, and they got in Frankie's car along with the two girls. Frankie drove to his and Robert's parents' home on Richmond Street and got out of the car. You go on, Robert said to Frankie, looking at his bloody shirt. I can't go in like this. Give me your keys. Frankie handed him the keys. Where are you going? Not sure, Robert lied. The truth was, he knew exactly where he was going as he pulled away from the curb. The cops will be swarming all over the place, little Joe said after he realized Robert was going back to the club. We'll get busted for sure. I can't leave Tommy lying in the street like that, Robert said as he turned up 93rd Street. Before they came to the intersection where the club was, they could see the reflections of red and blue lights pulsing against the buildings across the street. As they slowly drove by, they could see the big guy still sprawled out on the street. None of the ambulance attendants seemed to be in a hurry to help him. Tommy was nowhere in sight. Somebody probably took Tommy to the hospital, little Joe said. Yeah, Robert said, taking one last drag from his cigarette. He flicked the butt out the window, passed through the intersection, and sped away to a nearby diner where he and little Joe used the restroom to wash up. Ever since Alberto Davaccio showed up at court when Robert was accused of making Molotov cocktails, he knew his back was covered. After all, he was part of a special family. His only concern at the time was not getting caught, but he knew that if by chance he did get caught, the chances were high that somehow he would still get away with it. In regard to remorse, he had none. The big guy was the one who brought the fight by slitting Tommy's neck. Were they supposed to stand there and let him get away with it? What kind of a man would do that except a coward? In Robert's mind, the only choice was to take this guy out or end up like Tommy. And after he was attacked by the gang that wanted to mutilate his face, he swore to himself that he would never let anyone have the ability to come back after him. So he did what he had to do. The next morning, Robert called his house to check on Frankie. His mother answered the phone. Robert, what did you do? Her voice was frantic. What is it, Ma? The police just left with your brother in handcuffs. What? They say he killed somebody. I know he was with you last night. What's going on? I don't know, Ma. I'll call you back after I find out. He hung up before she had a chance to ask any more questions. He sat there for a few seconds, feeling his heart racing again, angry that the big guy had brought this about. Little Joe sat on the bed across from him. What is it? 
The police just hauled off my brother. That SOB that attacked us last night is dead. Little Joe got up from the bed, swearing by all things holy. While he paced the floor, Robert called his sister Anna, who gave the phone over to her husband, Polly. Somebody gave Frankie's license plate number to the cops, Robert joined in with Little Joe's ranting. Robert, listen, you two need to keep a low profile. Where are you at? Robert told them the name of the motel where they and the girls were staying. Look, ditch the girls. I'll call you back after I make some calls. After hanging up with Polly, Robert told Little Joe the gist of the conversation and sent the girls home. In a few minutes, Polly called back and said his brother offered for them to stay at his place. They checked out of their room and left for Brooklyn. They stayed cooped up in Polly's brother's apartment, adhering to the order given by Fat Andy not to go out in public, which caused them to get a little stir-crazy. During that time, the police released Frankie after they were unable to find any evidence against him. After a couple of weeks of hiding out, Anthony showed up. After hugging both Robert and little Joe, he stood in front of them for a few seconds, shaking his head. You know, you two are crazy, taking on a psycho monster like that. He slit Tommy's throat, Anthony. What were we supposed to do? The guy got what he deserved. I know he did. You can never trust a dopehead. They're too unpredictable. He paused. I don't know if you heard, but Tommy's going to make a full recovery. Yeah, we heard, little Joe said. That's great. Yeah, Anthony leaned against the door. Get packed. You're going away for a while, upstate. Dad has some friends up there. They'll take care of you too. 